hey, before you guys have a seat, I want you to turn to a few people next to you, whether you know them or not, and I want you to talk about a time where you had to show up in front of a lot of people not looking your best. So maybe it was a day you had bad hair, or maybe you left your house with pajama pants on. Give you two minutes, ready, go. All right, I'm sure you have some crazy stories. I was actually talking to someone before the first service and they said, I look my worst every day because I don't put any effort into my hair or anything. So I thought that was kind of funny. But hey, welcome back. It's been like a month since the last time we were all together in this space. So let's give God some praise that we're here. I'm super excited to see all of you. And even more good news, guys, you are in the home stretch. You've got like six weeks left and you're done and you're gonna make it. You're gonna make it. We're praying for you and we love you. Hey, my name is Noelle Jacobs. I'm on staff with Campus Ministry, and I asked you that question earlier um, because today I'm standing up here in front of you, and I'm not necessarily feeling my best or looking my best. You probably can't notice it now, but I woke up. Thank you. Someone said I'm beautiful. You're beautiful, too. Um, I woke up this morning, and my left eye was just swollen shut. Like, if I lift my glasses, you might be able to see some redness, but it's like red and swollen and it hurts right now. Um, so yeah, I feel like I'm not here being my best, but um, I was sitting with scripture today and you know, sitting with the text for tonight and they say that God's word is sharper than any two-edged sword. So I'm flipping through the pages of scripture and it just poked my eye um, because it's so sharp or whatever. So that's why I have a red eye, not really. I actually have a sty. You guys believed it. I was like, okay, that's fine. I mean, it's what God's word says, but um, I have a sty in my eye. So if I'm rubbing it or anything, that's why. But guys, I woke up this morning. I was like, I don't know if I can come here tonight. I don't know if I can share what God's put on my heart with all of you. I texted the staff. I was like, we need to pray. And people were praying for me all day. And guys, my eyes is open and I have two functioning eyes and I'm just giving God glory for that. We're here. We're going to do it. It's going to be great. And I'm super excited about the message that God has for us tonight. We're going to be hearing a story about a woman who gave absolutely everything she had. Um, we're going to continue our series of Jesus in Jerusalem. There it is. Um, I know it's been a while, so track back with me. If you've been around with us, you've journeyed as we have followed Jesus and his disciples, traveling from the Galilee region um, up into Jerusalem. If you were around like six weeks ago, Ben was talking about Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he meets this crowd of people and they are greeting him and cheering him on, but then he ends up disappointing them because he's not the king that, he, that they hoped he would be. Um, we had you act out the story with palm branches and your coats down this aisle. It was really funny. It was great. And then a week after that, we had our friend Clarence Hogan come and share with us about racial reconciliation and what it means to love our neighbor as Jesus commands us to. And tonight we're picking up back in Mark chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open that up, chapter 12, Mark. Um, and if you need one, raise your hand. We have some friends in the back who will bring one down. We actually just got brand new Bibles today, so you could be the first person to use a brand new Bible. Well, maybe that was at 7 o'clock, but still, it's fresh. Um, the text will be up on the screen, Mark 12, starting at verse 41 through 44. You can read along with me, look at the screen, or just listen if that works for you. Sound good? All right. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Let's do it. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few cents. 
Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more, or has put into the treasury more than all of the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so let me give you a little context so you know what's going on here. Jesus and his disciples are in the temple, and they're in an area of the temple called the Court of Women. Um, it was the area, that, the furthest area that women could enter into, and in that area was also the treasury, which would be like where offerings are being taken. So imagine the lobby out here with our offering boxes, and ladies, that would be like the furthest you could go. You couldn't come into this place or get near the holiest, uh, Holy of Holies, which would be up here. Um, so people would go there and they would give their tithes and they would give their offerings in these like trumpet-shaped or like horn-shaped offering containers called receptacles. Um, and near those receptacles were also priests who would take those offerings or those givings and scrutinize them and see what people were giving before they were put into the receptacles for offering. Um, and think about like campus ministry staff just sitting outside by the offering boxes and checking like what you're giving. I find that to be really awkward. I don't know about you, but I don't want people knowing what I'm giving. So that's just a little bit weird. Um, anyway, Jesus is sitting across from this treasury and he's watching people from the crowd come up with their money. Now, if you remember back to Ben's teaching, the temple area as well as Jerusalem is just packed and packed and packed with Jewish pilgrims who are coming to celebrate Passover. Many of these people were wealthy and had a high social ranking, um, and they were giving really, really large amounts of money in the form of silver coins called denarii or gold coins called ari. And really what you need to know about that, they were giving a lot of money. Um, a denarii was worth about a day's wage, and then a, an ari was worth about 25 days wage, so about a month. Um, but not everyone had that kind of wealth. The widow in this story sure didn't have that kind of money. In fact, she probably didn't have any money at all um, besides those two coins. But she comes into the court anyway in this crowd full of these prestigious people with a lot of money and she walks up to the treasury and Jesus sees her. She reaches into her pocket and from her pocket she pulls two small copper coins just like these two pennies, right? These coins were worth absolutely nothing compared to the amount that the other people were putting in. I mean, one of her coins was worth one 128th of a silver denarius. So that's 1,600 times less than what the rich people were giving. It would be like college students, like most of you or all of you, and then seminary students like me giving a dollar on the offering plate, and then the really rich guy in town comes into church and puts a $1,600 check on the plate to show everyone what he's giving. So that's kind of like what it would be like. Um, but she gives her coins, everything she has. She goes up and she gives her coins, and Jesus sees this poor widow, and he sees her offering. And he calls over his disciples, and he says, this widow, this widow has given more than anyone else. They've all given out of their abundance, but this woman, in her poverty, has given everything she has to live on. Why do you think Mark is telling us this story? Why is he telling us this story right here, right now, just days before Jesus' crucifixion? Why does this story matter now? And why would Jesus call attention to this poor widow who's giving more than the rich people? 
I mean, they're giving a lot of money. They're tithing. Isn't that enough? They seem pretty generous. There is more to the story, though, more to the story that this part of the text doesn't tell us. So I want to bring you back into Mark. We're going to go back into Mark chapter 12, um, and we're going to start at verse 38 because there's another part of the story that I think you need to hear. Um, Jesus is still at the temple with his disciples, and he's warning the crowds that are there against the teachers of the law. So let's read. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. But they devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Interesting. Jesus is warning crowds against the teachers of the law. These people are religious leaders of their community, scribes and experts in the Jewish scriptures, which we now call the Old Testament. They're supposed to know their stuff, right? They're supposed to know God's word. And Jesus is warning the crowds against them, saying that they walk around in public seeking recognition by the clothes they wear and by the, respect, or the reputable places they go to. And he says they devour widows' houses, which in this context probably means that they were serving as executors of widows' estates and then exploiting those widows for their own greed. They were pretending to show great devotion to the Lord in prayer, but their deeds were radiating hypocrisy. It's so messed up. Because if they're living by the law, this law that they're supposed to know, then they should be obeying it and the parts that call them to look out for the widows and the poor people. They should know scriptures like Deuteronomy 26.12 that say, when you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, you shall give it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. Or Deuteronomy 16.11-14, through 14, and rejoice before the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. Interesting, they're at the temple and that's that place. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, the Levites in your towns, the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows living among you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and follow carefully these decrees. But friends, they're not following these decrees. They're tearing them apart. They're not caring for the poor and the widows so that they'll have food to eat. At this time during Passover, when they're remembering and celebrating the liberation of their ancestors from slavery in Egypt, they're not rejoicing before the Lord in his dwelling place with the poor people and the widows. They're actually shutting these people off from the kingdom of God. I mean, it would be like the campus ministry staff gathering all of us here right now just so they could take advantage of you. Right? Imagine that Scott Stark is walking around here in a robe showing off to all of you, and I do have permission to say that. What I don't know that I have permission to say is that he actually has a robe and it looks like this. <laughs> He's not here tonight, so I can do that. Just uh, keep that on the down low. But imagine he's standing up here in his robe and he's preaching the good word to you and then he's done. He walks out this aisle out right by the receptacles and he's taking your money and he's just being super deceptive, right? That's not what you're here for. 
You trust, you're supposed to be trusting this person, but they're deceiving you. This isn't the way that God calls us to live by his word. These people who are following the rules and following the law, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, matter that they're religious people or that they're pastors. It doesn't matter that they dress up and they show up to the synagogues, they show up to the churches and do all the things that they're supposed to do when they know the word up in their head, but they don't know it in their heart. Right? This heart worship, this is true and authentic worship because it gives God glory and it honors his people. Amen? Right before these stories take place, Jesus gives the greatest commandment. It's in Mark 12 if you're uh, looking for it. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. They're not doing that. What they're doing is taking this commandment and they're ripping it in half. They're separating worshiping God from loving people and those two things should not be separated because there is a deep, deep, deep relationship between worship and loving your neighbor. There is a deep relationship between worship and justice, but they don't get it. And this type of stuff happens in our world all the time, doesn't it? I don't know if you've been keeping up with the news, but there's been a lot of recent talk at the Vatican in Rome about the global issue of sexual abuse of children in the Catholic Church. Pope Francis himself compared it to the ancient practices of child sacrifice in pagan rituals. And that's not just happening in the Catholic Church, that's happening in churches around the world. We have church leaders in our country who steal money from the treasury so they can take extravagant vacations and buy fancy cars. And I wouldn't even be surprised if you knew some pastors like that yourself. We've got churchgoers right here in West Michigan who show up on Sunday mornings to praise and worship and they show up to their small groups, but they won't invite the lonely single college student to their house for lunch afterwards because it's about their family, not God's family. Churchgoers, including many of us who walk by the homeless people in downtown Grand Rapids like they're a stray cat. You know, sometimes we don't even look at these people as human beings. I just went on a CM spring break trip to Los Angeles last week. Thanks, Sam. <laughs> She's actually, she didn't go, but she said she was going to play LA trip for me this service, so thanks for that. <laughs> we got to interact with the homeless community. It was such a gift. We hung out in Hollywood, and then we went to the greater Los Angeles area, and we interacted with these people who have really powerful stories. Just to give you some perspective, there's about 60 to 80,000 homeless people within LA County alone. 27,000 people who are homeless within the city of Los Angeles, and then about 2,000 people in a two-mile radius in downtown Hollywood who do not have beds to sleep in at night. These people don't have shelter. The shelter space cannot accommodate the capacity of all of these people who don't have a place to sleep. These people like you and me who are sleeping on the streets. And then they get woken up by police at six in the morning and they're told to, you know, get up and go, just go somewhere because you're not welcome here. This is their home. 
you're not welcome here because shops have to open and tourists have to come through and famous people need to get through and Lord forbid if the world actually saw what Hollywood looked like, right? You can come back at 9 o'clock and you can sleep on the cold cement again, but you have to be away for this time. Most of these people have jobs. They just can't afford the housing in L.A. It's so astronomically high. It's like $1,300 for a very, very small studio apartment. I mean, none of us can afford that on our own. There could be one situation that just puts you out of whack, like you lose your job or you get a divorce or something happens, any small circumstance, and you're on the streets just like that. It's crazy. Their homes are literally made out of tents and tarps, and they line the city streets just like the buildings do. I want to show you some pictures from our trip, and they're not going to be pictures of what you think Los Angeles might look like. So right over here on this street corner, we've got four different homes. These are four different tents that people are living in, also covered with tarp, because you know if it rains or sunshine, whatever, they're trying to um, embrace themselves for, from the elements. Uh, more people living in these tents back here. Um, another tent over here. Let's see what the next one is. Yeah, these are, these are people's homes, just right on the streets of Los Angeles, right on the sidewalks. So this is kind of what I was talking about, just streets lined up with tents. And you've got one here, one here, one here, one here, one here. We were literally just trying to walk to the place we were serving, and we couldn't even walk on the sidewalk because there were so many tents and so many people just living on the sidewalk. So we had to walk in the streets. And this one really gets me. Um, just rows and rows of tents, and that's, it's like that street after street after street. But then you can go like a street over, and it's like a really rich area with fancy coffee shops opening up and all the hipsters hanging out, you know. And they don't even know what's going on a couple blocks away. This photo really got me. Um, this woman is sitting in her home, her wheelchair, and she probably has most of her belongings right here. Um, the part that strikes me the most is this flower, this hanging plant hanging off of the armrest of her wheelchair. That's her garden. Her garden is literally a hanging pot from her wheelchair. And I thought that was just so moving and touching that she still had a garden. And then the next photo, we can't really see the writing, but it says, always trust God or, or trust God always. These people who live on the streets and still they know their identity and they know that they're loved by God. Real people with real stories made in the image of God, just like you and me. But they go unnoticed by the people that have money and literally live in high-rises above them and around them. But the biggest thing that these people are suffering from isn't necessarily homelessness, but the isolation that it brings with it. And I wonder for our community here in campus ministry if we are experiencing some of that isolation too. We have a temptation to come to the well and to come to worship and, you know, get what we want and get what we need. But we don't always have an eye to see the lonely people in our community who don't have the friendships that we have yet. Underclassmen and probably still some upperclassmen who are still struggling to find their place at campus ministry and maybe even at Grand Valley. We have a temptation to come and worship for ourselves and get what we need, but sometimes we do that and we forget about the other people around us. 
Now, I'm, I'm really guilty of this one, but sometimes I think being a good Christian means showing up in my Patagonia with my Kavu bag and maybe my Chacos if it's warm enough outside, and then I take pictures serving or worshiping at the well, and I, I know I don't intentionally mean to do this, but I do it, and I post these pictures so other people can see how Christian I am and how I fit into this community. But that's not what Jesus is looking for. He's not looking for any of that. Jesus isn't looking for the nice clothes or the artsy Instagram photos from the well or from spring break. In the whole crowd of people that are following the rules and doing what they're supposed to do, showing up to church, showing up to small groups, all that kind of stuff, people who are giving a lot of money and looking their best. Out of all of those people, Jesus sees the poor widow who gets up and goes to the temple treasury and puts in her two pennies worth nothing. She gives everything she has. This poor widow who's disregarded by everyone around her, just like the homeless people in the communities we talked about and even some people in this room tonight. But Jesus sees her. He sees her faith and he honors her in front of his disciples. And I'm even guessing that this poor widow also knew the Old Testament scriptures, just like the teachers of the law did. Listen to this, these words from Psalm 68. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds and rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. A father to the fatherless and a defender of the widows is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families and he leads out the prisoners with singing. But the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I think the widow knew who she was worshiping when she gave her two coins that day. She wasn't deceived to pledge her, play, or pr pledge her praise to the religious leaders in her community. She didn't fall into fear of what others around her were giving or what they looked like. She wasn't worried about how much money she was giving. She didn't hold any part of herself back or compare herself to anyone else. She showed up with everything she had and she fully invested herself in worship to God who she knew would defend her. The God who defends the widow is the same God who defends the voiceless children in our churches who are suffering from abuse. The God who defends our homeless brothers and sisters in Grand Rapids and Los Angeles and Houston and LA and New York and Miami is also their defender. The same God who defends the lonely people in this room tonight. She gave all of herself. And Jesus saw her. She gave her heart. And Jesus saw her. Because the heart worship is the true and authentic worship. And this is what Jesus is inviting us to do. He sees her and he calls over his disciples and he says to them, you see that poor widow? Be like her. Be like that poor widow. Don't be like the hypocrites, the teachers of the law who say one thing and then do another thing. Don't shut off the kingdom of God from your brothers and sisters. You're actually also shutting off the kingdom from yourself in doing that because the kingdom is everyone around us. Be like the widow. 
give everything with your whole heart out of love. Be like her. So how do we be like the widow? We joked about this in the program team meeting several weeks ago. How do we pull a widow? I don't know what that looks like, but how do we be a widow? Maybe church leaders stop exploiting young children and even women in our churches. And maybe we start paying attention to the people around us who need community and connection, the people around us who are weak and lonely and poor. Maybe as upperclassmen, we come to campus ministry excited to meet new people, excited to see new faces, and we usher them into worship with us. We usher them into community with us. Maybe instead of using our tax refunds for buying new stuff, we think about how we can give to another person, how we can bless somebody else. Because this is what Jesus sees. This is what God cares about. He cares about your heart. He doesn't care about any of the other stuff. He just wants your heart. And that's what he's inviting us into. So I'm going to ask you this question tonight. What part of your heart do you need to give to God? What part of your life do you need to surrender to him completely in order to love him and love his people with absolutely everything you have? Where are you holding back? And what are you holding back from giving to the Lord? Is it your time? Is it your money? Your comfort? Your control? Your need to be affirmed by others? Maybe it's the security of a relationship, or maybe it's just straight down your pride. What do you need to surrender to God in order to love him and love his people with everything you have? I'm going to invite the band to come back up here, and they're going to play a song that I believe really gets at the heart of this message. We're going to enter into a time of reflection, and we're going to be really honest with ourselves and with God about the things that are in our hearts that are keeping us from him and keeping us from his people. We're going to ask the Spirit to show us what parts of our heart we're not giving up to God. Those parts of our heart that are serving as barriers between us and God and us and his people. The things that are preventing us from worshiping God fully and authentically. What stands between you and a life wholeheartedly sold out for Jesus Christ? Because it's not about how much we can give or who can give more or who can be more or who can do more. God isn't impressed by any of that stuff. He's not impressed by how we look or how we appear or what we've made worship to be. He just wants our heart. He searches so much deeper within us. He searches to the depths of our heart and he calls us to him simply. You don't need to bring the fancy stuff. You don't need to bring all the rules. You don't need to do all that extra stuff. Just come to me with the rawness of your heart. Because it's all about Jesus. Everything in this life is about Jesus. Everything is already his. Our time and our money, our talents, even the breath that he gives us to breathe is his. He doesn't need us to do more or to be more because we're already enough. He just wants us to come and surrender to him with our hearts. So this time is for you to look inward and examine your heart and see how you come to him and how you come to worship.
You don't have to stand up. You don't have to sing these songs. You can stay in your seat if that's what you need to do. You can just pray. You can listen to the lyrics. Let them wash over you. They're beautiful. If you need a journal, you can do that. If you need to walk out in the lobby and worship him out there, you can do that. But do whatever you need to do to simply bring yourself and bring your heart before the Lord and ask him what needs to be stripped away so you can worship him with absolutely everything you have, just like the widow. So Holy Spirit, come into our hearts. Show us what we need to give back to you, Lord. We love you.